This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. By golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I'm Haley Stoddart. And I'm Ken Tripp, and our co-host Zach is off this week. We want to congratulate our partner on a new job and a new place to live, all so we can avoid the train noises on our podcast. Is What a partner, huh, Haley? I know. That's just great. I mean, man, having to edit out those train noises, it's just not the best, is it? It's not the best. <laughs> and to do all of that just so he could make a better podcast. Now that's dedication. It is. It, it is. But we do congratulate him. Super excited about his new adventure in life here. And it's going to be great. Yeah, it looks like he's going to have a better work-life balance. And, you know, as I say, if Zach isn't happy, the whole world cries with him, right? So... <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Zach, good job, man, and uh, we miss you, and uh, we move on. Okay, Haley, what are we talking about today? Today, hey, so today we're going to talk about Star Trek Beyond's Yorktown Station. Uh, You know, when I remember seeing that on the screen, and I just thought, wow, that is huge and kind of cool, and... Then I also thought, man, my vertigo is going to kick in if we start flying around all those different arms with the buildings like sometimes looking upside down that was my initial thought what about yours ken well first i I, you know i as we were saying off mic i miss this cast i miss the um the reboot i miss the movies i i'm don't get me wrong you know discovery's fine i like it just fine it's you know it's not the the be all end all but it's fine but i miss captain kirk i miss mr spock i miss the, the new Enterprise A, which I really want to see in action. So it was funny when this topic came up, that it really just kind of struck me hard. It's like, I want to see Beyond again, but now I want a new movie. So we know they're making one. Yeah. Uh, that was my initial emotion. But when I saw that movie, because it was so good, it was pure Star Trek in every aspect. They really knocked it out of the park. And that the second scene, you know, essentially after... You know, everything's episodic, and he puts on his uniform and all that stuff, and they approach Yorktown Station. I was like, oh, now that is cool. You know, I mean, Bones's comment about it looks like a snow globe, you know, <laughs> I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> my initial exactly. reaction was, oh, wow. You know, they, they, I thought this movie, they were going to kind of 
bring the budget down a little bit, conserve some money, you know, which is fine. But they didn't. They went all out, and I thought they they made a beautiful space station, very unique. It is very unique. So yeah, let's talk about that the technology and the design of it um, a little bit more um, and kind of the community of it. Uh, so I went on to Memory Alpha because just did, you know, like we all do, Google search of something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not a whole lot out there, but Memory Alpha had quite a bit. Um, so let's see here. Uh, it's got a shipyard, which I thought was kind of neat, obviously, inside it. Um, but it's also divided into zones. So you kind of had your like arts, culture zone, your parks, nature zone, sightseeing. So, okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, like your recreation. So, you know, your typical place like any of us would go travel somewhere here on earth, you know, see museums, gardens, restaurants, apparently bars, nightclubs, because, you know, people got to enjoy life mm-hmm. on this station outside of this nebula, right? Um, it was uh, designed by Sean Hargreaves. And he kind of worked with a team, um, and again, they designed and based a lot of the building aspects because they were filming in Dubai, so that's where a lot of the structure actually comes from. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of neat. And uh, I guess originally, so we have that scene where, you know, when we see the Enterprise flying through, and you kind of see it from, like, the windows aspect, apparently those passageways weren't going to have windows in it, which I thought was kind of neat. Mm-hmm. And then they changed it, and that led to the sequence of when the Franklin comes up through that pool towards the end of the film. Right. That wouldn't have happened if we hadn't had those windows, apparently. Well, that makes sense. You wouldn't have been able to see the ship's progress through the space station, right? Yeah, which is really cool when you, you know, all the different shots and stuff. Um, and then I thought this was neat as I was reading this. The each arm inside of the sh- of the station is about uh, 17.5 miles long. Oh, wow. Okay. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's really crazy. <laughs> that's big. Yes, absolutely. You know? So, I mean, it looks huge, but clearly if that's, if that's the case, then it's even more massive than, you know, we would think. Mm-hmm. You know, it reminded, well, it's funny. I've been to Dubai many times, uh, having deployed to the Middle East a few times. And uh, when we had Liberty, that's where we would we would wind up as Dubai. And it's it's an incredible city. It is a um, extraordinarily modern. It's I don't think there's many things in it that are over 10 or 15 years old, which is which is pretty cool. So I think they picked a good city to kind of model it after because it, it's very advanced. Uh, and you know, I, I could see those aspects of it. I knew they were filming it there. So that, that was that was pretty neat. But overall, my first instinct or my first feel, I don't know. Have you been to Disney World a few times or Disneyland either? I've, I've been to Disneyland a few times. I've been to Disney World once. Okay. Well, the first time, especially when you take your kids there or when I was there, you know, much younger, you have kind of this awestruck feeling because, you know, you're in there, you've got the, the music going uh, everything's kind of themed. Uh, people are smiling. You know, it, it's very safe. It's very secure. And that was my initial feel 
when they showed the station was, oh my goodness, it, it's got that same, you know, community aspect and, and everything um, as, as Disney World. And this is obviously when they, got, when they get in there and there's people greeting it, you know, and they show the people walking through and using the transporter and all of it. The train, you know, reminded me of the monorail. So it was like Dubai meets Disney World. Uh, in a unique combination, which is kind of perfect, like like technology meets, I guess, um, you know, evolved people, and um, it all kind of comes together there. So the design was was cool. There'd be big glass, open. Um, you know, it had the light from I guess uh, I don't know if it was from the nebula or there was a sun nearby, but they really thought it out well. I think that you know in this era where there's been so much sci-fi. Uh, a lot of space stations. You know, it was a part of me when they were when I heard they were going to Yorktown. You kind of thought of the the space stations they used in the mm-hmm. um, TOS movies, and you saw sometimes in TNG and sometimes in DS9. You know that that kind of um, upside down space needle look. Yeah. You know that that type of thing. That's what I was assuming it was going to be, which I always thought was a cool design. But I, I think they one upped it, and and everything in the Kelvin timeline is bigger. I want to say it's better, but everything's bigger. So the Enterprise <laughs> is much bigger, you know. The, bigger um, is not always better. So not always, not always. No. But you know, but in in this case, I thought the scale and everything was um, humbling. It really just shows how far advanced Federation technology really is. Yeah, exactly. Um, I thought it was great. Like I said, I we can kind of talk about some of the technology of it, like the gravity aspect of it. I think is one thing that kind of just doesn't quite work for me bothers me a little bit because it seems like each one like I said some of them it seems like you're walking upside down compared to the arm that's like right next to it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and I have vertigo and and for me a lot of that scene I was just like oh okay please please don't make me feel like I'm walking upside down (laughs) or being twisted in all these different directions for any of our listeners who have vertigo, you understand what, what I mean when I say scenes like that are really hard to watch. I To reference another movie that I have never seen and never will, um, Inception. Mm-hmm. Just seeing the trailers for that movie, I knew I was like, no, I can't watch that because I'm in it. I'm going to feel like I'm doing all the weird things that are going on. And it just seems like that are kind of hard for me. <laughs> so that gravity aspect of it is just weird. I don't mm. know about for you, but... No, For me, it's kind of a little strange. I, I completely understand what you're saying. I thought it was kind of cool because, you know, the aspect is, the, from where you're looking and you're watching this, I completely understand what you're saying. I guess I was able to put myself in the perspective of somebody who was walking on it, and then, of course, it would seem completely normal, right? So yeah. even though it would be weird to think that, you know, 10 20 30 feet or whatever on the other side of you is somebody that's completely doing the opposite (laughs) and able to walk as if their life is normal so Mm -hmm. you know it's kind of like what we're doing right now sitting here in north america far away from each other but our friends down in australia you know they're all upside down (laughs) (laughs) it's just it's just one of those things where you know i I just put it it's like oh okay instead of being you know 19 or 2,000 miles apart or 3,900 miles whatever it is uh, from us to there, it's it's literally just on the other side of that ramp. It's it, you know, and the buildings are the same thing, right? There's skyscrapers mm-hmm. that are both going up and down. But if you're walking it and you're impacted by the gravity, your your aspect is normal. So, 
I, I thought it was very cool and interesting, but I can completely understand if you have vertigo um, and, you know, get dizzy easily and you're looking at all these effects, even the train kind of goes into a kind of a cool loop mm-hmm. where it's it's one side and then it, it switches and it's, it's yeah. moving at an incredible rate. So it was cutting edge, but I could see how you could get a little... Um, yeah, I'm not going on that ride. And, you know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think I'll just yeah. go back to the ship, back to my stateroom and read a book. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Well, and I wonder with like the train, the monorail, where it does that, mm-hmm. if it's actually, um, so, you know, you take in like the London Eye or the High Roller in Vegas where, yes, the wheel is moving, but the thing just kind of stays steady. So mm-hmm. I wonder if in their monorail like train that they have on the Yorktown station if it's kind of that same thing where yes the track might move but the thing just doesn't you don't feel it when you're inside it do Mm -hmm. you get what I'm saying I do understand what you're saying yeah so maybe that is how that works so maybe it you know it seems like it's flipping but maybe it really isn't yeah yeah I I, boy I would hope so you know yeah I know right (laughs) oh yeah you you know it buckle up exactly (laughs) Uh, you know, as you get older, well, I'll speak for myself. Maybe there's there's a lot of people uh, my age that can still do all the crazy roller coasters or whatever, and I just can't, right? I was never great with them, but I do them. You know, you go on with the kids and all that other stuff. I was never a big fan of them, but as I've gotten older, I just go, you know, it's not worth it because I don't feel well anymore. I just don't enjoy it. So I would hope that uh, for, you know, I'm just thinking, boy, I've mentioned if the Boston subway system, they did like loops and stuff like that on your way to work. <laughs> you know, how come you're late for this meeting? Because oh, I've been vomiting for the last hour. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah, that type of thing. Yeah, that definitely would not be enjoyable at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> so what about, um, what do you think about, you know, how the fact that it is clear so you can kind of see it? It reminds me of... Um, the office, so the office that I work at, we have some toys for kids as they're sitting waiting for their counseling appointments. Mm-hmm. And one of them is, and I'm sure other people have seen them, they're the marble things. So they're spherical. And mm-hmm. then they have different colored tracks on the inside. They're like a puzzle, um, kind of like a labyrinth. And you have to get the marble through, like, and you have to move and twist things. So that's kind of what I thought of when I saw this. I was like, oh, look, it likes, it's one of those marble, mm-hmm. weird round marble toy things. Yeah. I think, I think you, you you got it exactly right. You know, I was st- in awe looking at it, going, "Oh, that's really neat." Then the bones comment, and then it made me think about what you're saying, and it's like, "Yeah, okay, I've seen that shape before." <laughs> yeah, uh, but I, you know, I, I like that it's it's natural light that everything can come in. Um, you know, it had a fairly decent defense system, all those kind of cool things. But I, I know, I, I I thought, like I said, for Star Trek, it was. It was very unique, very cutting edge. So I didn't, oh, yeah, definitely. I thought, I thought it was cool. I mean, uh, I, I know I have my biases. And there's a point every time I see these movies, I really want to like whatever they're doing. It's just, I want to like this. Mm-hmm. So I step back and I say, did I really like it? And from my perspective, yeah, it was it was a pretty cool design, unique. And, and I love people that are creative like that, that can take something spherical, uh, something that we can all relate to, like a snow globe, or the, or the toy you're talking about, you know, the tracks. Yeah. <laughs> and then say, hey, because when we were kids, that's exactly what we did. Mm-hmm. You know, you would take things that would, you know, a toy for one thing and you go, nope, that's my space station. Yeah. <laughs> so. Exactly. Yeah. So they just made it fun. They made us all, all, all us adults kind of look at it and go, hey, if I was a kid and I had the ability to make it look that cool, I'd do that. 
Why not? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I mean you can. Uh you mentioned about the lighting. Um we won't go into it majorly. Um I I'm not a fan of the whole like we have windows and there's light coming in because it's space. And unless you're next to a star system of some sort, there's not that much light. Yeah, but, my my assumption is that they were. Um it had to be reflecting off something. Yeah. Right? Um, but they never Unless really... maybe there's like some sort of lighting system in those glass panels. Mm, yeah, maybe. I, I just, it could be. It's a good, I guess Memory Alpha doesn't have any information Mm-mm. on that. But, you know, I guess my assumption would have been something that big would rotate, right? Because it needs to create gravity. It needs to create gravity somehow, some way. Yeah. Um, so it needs to spin. And so I figured, you know, they put it, out there, I know on the edge of space, but close to a star that would give it light. And even if the star was further away than what we're used to on Earth, it really doesn't matter. It's internally heated. So mm-hmm. the light's going to travel a, a certain distance and it's going to, yeah. be, you know, it'll hit the it'll hit the station. So I guess from my point of view, I just assumed that was that way. But I, I understand what you're saying. It's kind of like <laughs> when you see Discovery now. Yes. And they show, show the ships. It, you, you would assume that if there's no direct light source that those ships are going to be a lot darker and the um, the light that's emitted from the ships would definitely be what, you know, illuminates what's around it. So mm-hmm. I hear what you're saying. Absolutely. I yeah. got gotcha. you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you're on the same page as me. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> you already spelled my name wrong. You get in trouble for that. Oh, I went in and fixed it all, and I'm still taking hits for it. Okay, uh, that's fine. I love ya. You know that. <laughs> I know. It's okay. Yes, yes. We always hurt the ones we love. <gasps> <laughs> all right, so we've kind of touched on some of the, you know, we've touched on the technology about it and a little bit about the community. Um, Memory Alpha didn't have a whole lot. I just said that there was millions of people living on it. <laughs> Yes, yes. We definitely got that impression. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously we have everybody up to that point who's included in the Federation. We would assume that, you know, there's at least a handful of each race living on this space station. What do you think? Well, it's mentioned by Spock, right, that the purpose of it was exactly... you know, it was it was a successful Nimbus three. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> I know it probably didn't have Klingons or Romulans, but uh, I've said it on a couple of different episodes. So, at the risk of being redundant and people rolling their eyes, I want to be careful here. But to me, it was the only time in any Star Trek anywhere that we've seen truly what the Federation represents, and that is, you know, as Spock said. You know, they set up this giant space station so there could be no perceived bias, right? It wasn't just mm-hmm. on any one planet. It wasn't being run by any one overall overarching race or anything along those lines so that you could have infinite diversity uh, living in harmony, you know, doing the things that they were doing on that space station, right? So there was the exploration yeah. element of it. They were building starships. It was fully functional. So it had purpose, and the people on it had purpose, which was kind of nice. But it just showed, you know, a clean, um, very healthy, very beautiful, you know, it had it had the ponds, the lakes, the rivers, the birds. It had, you know, people just doing whatever they're doing. I'd really be curious to understand, you know, what exactly all the different aspects of it yeah. were. But, you know, as, as um, you pointed out, it had zones, it had museums, it had... So, you know, it's a, it's a multicultural experience. 
to allow people and members of the Federation to come together and live in peace, you know, literally physically together, right? So exactly. to me, for the first time anywhere in Star Trek, for the first time anywhere, we got to see it. We just have never seen it like that. We've seen bits and pieces here and there, but this was truly what the Federation was trying to emulate, and it brought it home with Yorktown. And to me, that was probably the best scene of any Star Trek film, just because it's like, finally, we got to see not Earth, not Vulcan, not Romulus, not Kronos, yeah. Kronos, 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 whatever you want to call it. <laughs> We, we saw we saw it all you know we got to yeah. see all the races too in the background so I'll stop talking so no no did, did, it's okay. did, did you did you capture that as well though I mean did that hit you was it the impact there yeah it definitely did and I I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of just so we can kind of understand more of that of that aspect of like what exactly is everybody else who's not in actual Starfleet doing mm-hmm. because you know we see a lot you know, we see people in the central plaza and they're walking around and they're not in Starfleet uniforms. Nope. Um, you know, but for the most part, most of the interactions that we got on screen were Starfleet uniforms. And so I think it would have been neat to have, and I granted it with the story, they couldn't do it, but I think in maybe the next film, it would be kind of neat if there was a little bit more of that Yorktown station. Because mm-hmm. obviously, you know, Sulu... His husband and daughter were on the station. Right. So were they living there? Were they just meeting him there? You know, and if they're living there, what are they doing there? And and so I think that would be neat to see a little bit more of it just to get that sense of exactly what everyone else does who's not necessarily in Starfleet. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Because we always see Starfleet. We always see what yep. is Starfleet. And we don't see a whole lot of what everybody else is doing that's not in Starfleet. Or whatever race you know that we're interacting with militarily wise quote unquote we'll say military in <laughs> quotes air quotes yeah sure no i i hear what you're saying Haley. i agree i think i think the setup right was to show they showed a lot of kids they showed a lot of people mm-hmm. holding hands they show you know it's obviously some sort of commerce going on you know you saw you know the aliens with the kind of a briefcase thing going into the transporter and you had the music going, you had this whole effect, you know, of, you know, what I was taking, like, you know, paradise, like I said, the Disney World aspect of it, you know, it's fun, it's inclusive, it's wonderful, paradise, you've arrived, all that stuff. And so they set it all up very, very quickly, I grant you, very quickly, as to, um, you know, to understand that there's risk, there's drama, um, these people, these innocents, millions of innocents are in jeopardy here. So they, they definitely capture that, you know, and they add mm-hmm. to that with yeah. Sulu's husband and daughter being there as well. So you have a, a connection to the civilians, and that's what it was all about. So I hear you. Um, I, I, I th- <laughs> it's a tricky thing because Trekonomics is so ill-defined. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things, you know, we, we get to this point in our in our future where everybody's getting along and, and there's no race and there's no this, there's no that. But there's also, I guess, quote unquote, no money, no this, no that. But then there's aspects where they say there is. So how deep you can get into what they're doing is, is really interesting. You know, my guess is, is that it would be heavily scientific. That would be my guess. Oh, probably for sure. And maybe it's something, you know, that that the IDW comics can pick up. And, and maybe carry on and, and give us a little bit more of something just 
I'm not a big comic person, not going to lie. I, I will tell other listeners that, that right now. But but it would be kind of neat to see a little bit more of those storylines picked up somewhere. Well, you know, we could Or do, books. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe we, we could write the definitive guide to um, Yorktown Station. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, why not, right? We had Mr. Scott's Guide to the Enterprise. We've had all these different technical books or whatnot. It would be kind of fun to get our arms around that, so... All right. Yeah. Well, we'll take yeah. it on. Why not? Sure. Yeah. And if we don't know, we just make it up. That's what most exactly. people do. Right? That's, that's just the way it goes. Hey, you know, Schmedlap over here is doing this. This guy's doing that. This lady's doing this. Yeah, we got to have a good time with it. Well, yeah. I mean, you'd imagine there has to be aspects of everything. but And then there's certain things, you know, like um, obviously there's going to be schools because there's kids. Mm-hmm. You know, do you have schools set specifically for you know each race are they kind of like the school that Keiko did on DS9 where all the kids come in and and you just kind of learn as much as you can and a little bit about everybody's culture a little bit so that at least everybody's getting included in that education wise so that's kind of interesting I only say that because you know my kids in school so Mm -hmm. yeah so I don't know yeah, well, yeah. It, you know, it it would be fun, right? It, it's. Um, did you ever watch the the rebooted Battlestar Galactica series? No, I haven't. Okay, it, it's really really good. It's it's um, it's deep and it's it can be very emotional. Uh, but what they did after the series ended is they kind of went back, and they were showing more of a um, a dramatization. It was called Caprica, and I, I honestly I didn't watch it. I really didn't have any interest in it. But it, it left the story of Galactica, and it was kind of a prequel. And it was like a, a drama set, you know, on this planet with all this technology, you know, the, the, the whole thing. And, um, and so when you were saying that, I was like, geez, I wonder if, you know, if they were to do a, a Yorktown show, you know, like a drama, <laughs> all these things that are going on, if, if that would capture people's interest. So it's to me, mm. it's like I'd love for them just in either dialogue or um, some overviews, like if. When they were approaching the station, uh, it would have been nice to have, you know, maybe for um, just like when a ship visits port, these things actually happen. You you have a brief on where you're going, so you mm-hmm. learn all the dynamics. You know what's going on politically. Where are the places to go? What might be the areas you should avoid? How's the culture? You know, how do people respond? How do you say this? All those types of things. They kind of have a list. They you know places to go, places to see. It would have been nice if they had kind of a a brief. Um, a, a pre-arrival brief on exactly what you kind of read at the beginning of this podcast, which is Yorktown Station. It's this big. It's got this many people. Uh, we're going to be arriving at this port. You know, the primary things that are happening here are whatever, scientific, exploration, um, you know, uh, medical, what, whatever it could be, right? All the different things. They could be looking at uh, medical science. They could be looking at all kinds of science. And, and they have all these experts from all these different planets in there, whatever it is. And if they kind of listed that out, that would have been kind of cool because you would have been able to capture it both in a brief, so you wouldn't have to spend a lot of time on it, and then with the visualization that they took to kind of take us around the station, both at the beginning and, of course, you know, during the chase scene and the adventure and all that other stuff. So if they could have pulled that whole mosaic together, that would have been pretty neat. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that. That's, and that is kind of exactly what I'm saying, and that mm-hmm. would have been... I agree with you. That would have been nice to, for us, the viewers, because it almost seems like the crew already knows everything about it. 
Mm-hmm. It's kind of how it comes off. But at least for the viewers, we're like, wait, what is this? And, and, and what's going on? And what kind of people live there? And what do they do? And, like, we didn't get that. You know, you just kind of yeah. had to conjecture it in your head of what was going on. So, yeah, that would have been nice to have, to have had that for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, and, and the assumption that everybody on the crew or whatever would have known about it was, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, we've got Google, right? So before you go anywhere, you can look it up, but it, it still would have been nice. Yeah. I, yeah. It was a missed opportunity, I guess. What did you think about the defense systems that they had in place? Since well, that's kind of part of the tech of it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was smart, I thought, uh, you know, to, to have that just in case because they – it, it looks like they may have a fleet of ships maybe one day operating from there, and obviously they're building them, so that's that's kind of cool. But, uh, you know, just like anything else, when you're on the edge of Federation space, where it's just kind of unique place to put all these folks really out there. I know, the, right? <laughs> at, the, at the edge of the frontier, so to speak. It always seems to be on the edge, right? <laughs> it always seems to be on the edge, you know, because it was like this next stop, and then, the, you know, the Enterprise was going to keep on, keep on driving. But... Um, I thought the systems were, were pretty cool. They You need those things, um, especially mm-hmm. if you're in an unknown territory. And it's obviously a um, it's a civilian operation for the most part with, with decent technology to protect itself, but it certainly wasn't an offensive capability, right? So that, that's kind of the key. But it was, it was okay. But the, the type of um, enemy or the type of ships or the tactics that were used against them were obviously as flawed as as they were for the poor enterprise yeah yeah that was one thing that i thought was kind of nice it's like okay well that makes sense that you'd have not only like a perimeter essentially Mm -hmm. you know so far out of a defense system and something that can alert you know this not glass we won't call it glass ball in space but you know this ball in space that <laughs> all right we'll just call it a glass ball in space glass ball in space yeah. um that you know you need you need something to alert you before something comes in because obviously maybe just like you know with ds9 maybe it can move but it moves slowly so obviously moving to get out of the way of something is probably not feasible right so you need something like that and then obviously you know where it's got the turrets and uh, basically, you know, to defend it on on itself, if something gets by those satellites, which obviously it does. But that's the other thing too. You know, that would be really scary that you can see stuff coming in. I wonder if like they mimic like the sky on the inside, because otherwise, you know, it'd be kind of scary to have you know all these things coming in potentially, mm-hmm. and you can see it. You know, and then, you know, panic ensues because everyone can see it, which, I mean, that is the case. You know, we see people getting scared as as the swarm comes in, but, you know, I would think from a aspect of working in behavioral health, it would be less stressful and uh, to have something where it basically reflects either just the nebula outside just the space that's outside or creates a virtual sky on the mm-hmm. inside so that if something does happen, yes, the people who need to be aware of it are aware of it, but everybody inside who does not necessarily need to be aware doesn't create this mass panic. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think your point's valid. Um, you know, it's, it's, 
I guess if you can see on the outside, if you can look up and see it, then I think the, um, I don't think the light is artificial. Mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. they would be silhouetted against whatever light's being provided. But I, I hear what you're saying. I, I guess it's one of those things where, you know, mm, could, could you mask it? Could you hide it when the shields go up? All those kinds of things. It's hard to say. I, I, your point is completely clear to me. Now I'm like, <laughs> all right, but they designed it this way for a reason. Yeah. And, you know, you assume peace. You assume good intent. You know, we talk about that all the time. Uh, then a threat comes out of nowhere and you see it coming. Yeah, you know, I guess I'd go to the side of the ramp where you couldn't see it. That would be my answer. <laughs> so I flip to the don, other side. Don your, don your gravity boots and flip to the other you side. You don't even need case. to. You don't even need to. But is the gravity on both sides? Yeah. Like if, if all the buildings are on, let's say this is my, the top, our viewers can't see, but if the top of my hand is the top, mm -hmm. is the gravity also the same on the bottom side? Because the buildings are just on this side and people just walk on this side. You know, maybe on... Maybe on this arm, you know, you see people, the buildings are here, and the people are walking here. Yeah. I'd have to watch again and pay closer attention. Maybe some of our viewers might have noticed if people are walking on the other sides as well. I need to look a little closer. I, yeah. I just assumed that they could, but you could be completely right. So, yeah, we'll, we'll pay more attention to the next the one. The gravity could just be on one side, you know, just where the buildings are at. And on the other side where it's bare, there might not be any. Mm -hmm. No, you're right. I, I just Maybe. I think because the train goes inverted, I thought that you could go inverted. You know, that's all. That's, that's all. <laughs> I don't well, know. Well, if any of our viewers and, and, you know, paid attention, yeah, let us know. <laughs> yeah. and, and make sure you have a bag next to you when you go and look at that scene again. <laughs> so you don't go spinning yeah. out of control and get sick. Yeah, yeah, I will. <laughs> Good recommendation there. It is. Yeah, for sure. Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about, Ken? Well, the one thing that I really thought was very um, cool throughout the movie, and they hit it on the head, right? So the name Yorktown obviously wasn't, uh, in my opinion, it wasn't a homage to, uh, you know, a Revolutionary War battle or a famous, um, two famous um, aircraft carriers by that name in World War II, you know, one of them still in Charleston Harbor. It was, a, it was a, a credit and a nod to Gene Roddenberry when he originally came up with the show, uh, wanted to name the starship Yorktown. So, uh, you know, throughout Beyond, uh, I thought that both um, Simon Pegg and Doug Jung did a great job of pulling references in to pay homage to Star Trek's 50th anniversary. And that, that just the, the fact that they named that Yorktown station was pretty cool you know so i i like the name i it, because of what it represented and it, it didn't represent the things i just talked about it was simply a, a nod and a wink to gene roddenberry and his creation as the original name of the starship that's great yeah i loved you know that that they did such a good job at, at making all those little nods because it was the 50th and i that's really great i didn't know that so thank you Oh, you're welcome. See, every once in a while we can teach each other things. Yes. But yes, yes. Because uh, I, I was like, geez, Yorktown Station, that's a funny thing to do. Um, and, and Star Trek's loaded with that, you know, where they, where they reference a lot of, um, I guess if, if you're into military history and stuff, the names of things all come from that. But it's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's interesting because it, they, they don't pick sides when they name things. 
<laughs> you know, so that that that's kind of cool. They they more they more name things after maybe an achievement in the technology that that ship represented versus it being, you know, uh, part of this navy or that fleet or the enemy fleet from our perspective. So that that's yeah cool. yeah yeah. So what do you think about the fact that they were building and already working on the next Enterprise on the Yorktown? The fact that they telegraphed that you know the um, the ship that was under construction was the only thing that was going to have more advanced sensor technology and capability than the enterprise mm-hmm. um, because you know right we, we knew from yeah. the trailer and all this stuff that this enterprise was was going to um, get destroyed which I was very depressed about I didn't want it to happen and it's a very emotional scene in the movie it it really is. Yeah, I, I, I really thought they did it right, but I was super excited for the A because this, this, the Enterprise that got destroyed, that design was okay. It wasn't my favorite, uh, mm-hmm. and I know people look at these ships and there's a lot of people going, "What do you even care about it?" It's, it's funny the perspectives, you know, like Amy's like that. She's like, "What are you talking about?" You know, but anyway. Yeah. Um, that's fine. I um. But I, I, I loved um, the refit enterprise from the movies and the motion picture and all that stuff. So I was excited to see what they were going to do with the A. And they did not disappoint. They, they really tightened up the look of the ship. They made it you know tighter. They, they took into effect the, the, the weaknesses that they, they showed from that attack. And they, they, they put those new designs in there. And Aaron Harvey was, was great after, um, after the movie came out. You know, he shared, and they're probably still on the Babel conference, some of the closer-up pictures and the designs of the new Enterprise A, which is out there for anybody to see now. But he did it early, and he mm-hmm. was just like, you know, he was just feeding my addiction. I was like, thanks, brother. <laughs> you know, I, I, I love this stuff. I, I'll just say, you know, Bill Dan, I geeked out. I was, I was, I was a, I was a happy Star Trek geek at that point. Yeah, I thought that was great. I thought it was really interesting that somehow they, because we, we did, we all knew that that was going to happen, that they were doing it there, and it was just kind of a great way to wrap that story around of why they went there in the first place, and then why they needed to be there, and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And how they were reinvigorated, right? Yeah. Because they were, you know, uh, you, know you, you talk about long deployments and being away from family and all that stuff, it rips you up no matter how big the ship is it kills you i mean it gets very very small very very fast so i think they hit that right on the head they showed the fatigue the crew was going under um they had this adventure it was you know high adrenaline you know people lost their lives and all this stuff but their their true calling their true mission you know uh came dashing through you had of course you know leonard nimoy's death at that time and the homage that they paid to it but a lot of emotions in this movie, as I think about it. Now I'm getting all worked up. Um, <laughs> a lot of emotions in this movie yes. that they did well. And, uh, and, and I like the fact that at the end, you know, we had, we had Zachary Quinto, uh, the, the new Spock, looking at a picture of the old cast from, you know, the Star Trek V picture. Um, mm-hmm. All of that, I thought, was just fantastic. It, it was just great. And then for them to get aboard the ship and you knew the adventure was going to continue. I was I was pumped. Like I said, I, my my geek was on Haley with two wise. <laughs> oh, I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> yeah, 
I totally agree with you there. I think it it was really well done. So, anything else? No, I I could we you know then it'll now start to morph into more of a Beyond show. So I'm, I know, I'm right? Good with that. <laughs> um, we have some great episodes on Beyond uh, that we did. Norm and and Zach did a great show, and it's almost two hours long. On, on oh wow! Well, well yeah, it. I can imagine. And then there was another one that we did, you know, uh, called um, Mars Attacks because you you know it was the same same plot line that we used to kill the enemy in both movies. Which almost hurt the movie from my perspective, but when Zach said, "Hey, it's the same plotline as Mars Attacks," I was like, "Yep, it is." Anyway. <laughs> yeah. All right then. Well, I don't have anything else to add, so I think this was kind of fun. It was nice to talk about something that I think a lot of there's definitely a dividing line. I think there's fans out there who like the Yorktown station, and then there's fans out there that don't. They didn't like the design of it, and they have their issues, so that's okay, because, hey, we can all like and dislike things at the same time. We can. We can. We sure, sure can. Yep. Well, Yorktown Station isn't the only thing we're talking about on Trek FM. Here's what else is happening elsewhere on the station. Previously on Trek.FM, to the journey! Yeah, I don't see him being allowed to just mooch off of Voyager, which is what he'd be doing if he resigned his commission. Be like, okay, get out. <laughs> we'll find the next planet and drop So it's kind out. of an empty threat. I'm going to resign my commission. Like, fine, you want to go scrub the plasma manifolds? Knock yourself out. <laughs> Someone has to do it. Might as well be you. <laughs> Warp 5. Lorian? I'm terrible with names, let me just hey, tell you. just like Back to the Future, man. DeLorean. <laughs> well, you've now you see ruined his son- it. Yep, you see his son, the DeLorean. Doors open this way. No, so, but in well, that episode, we see ears. his son. He does. <laughs> Maybe he could fly. I don't know. Now that should be the stinger. Earl Grey. Was that Jellicoe that went by? What are you talking about? Will you stop finding things in this episode <laughs> that no one else sees. <laughs> the guy had gray hair and everything. I thought it was Jellicoe. Oh yeah, because every guy with gray hair is Jericho. Like yeah, yeah. Like he's he, he he's just visiting after coming by for <laughs> chain of command. He was stopping for a cup of tea. <laughs> he doesn't strike me as someone that drinks tea. Melodic treks. Oh, okay. So how do we do this? I mean, wait a minute. Before we get into that, like, what about like the Tarantino trek movie? Is that going to happen? Because I'm totally stoked for that. Oh yeah. Listen, he's done two movies already. Whoa. And. Well, I'm so very excited that we're going to be getting two Tarantino movies. That's that's just awesome. This is great. I love knowing about the future. You know what? We'll, we'll set up that interview with Jeff Russo. Let's get the next episode of Melodic Tracks back online, and let's make it happen. We're making it happen, Brandon. Oh, but here's the best part. I have a copy of the interview right here, already mixed and ready to go, and you can put it online when I leave. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MB3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on 
trekfm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. We haven't had one yet, so we'd love to hear from you. You can also look contact us through Twitter at trekfm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trekfm and click discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. You guys, uh, your, your contributions, your help, your support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So f- to find me on the interwebs, you can find me on, Babel, on the Babel Conference. I'm there all the time, or you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about all things Smallville, the young Superman show that ran from 2001 to 2011. And also, you can find me on the Babel Conference uh, complaining about things that uh, I don't like and praising things that I do like, because that's what we do as fans. So I look forward to talking to you all on there. What about you, Haley? Yeah, you can find me. On Twitter, I am Trekkie01D. I know some people like to call it Trekkie10D, but that would be incorrect. I am not on that one. You can also find me on the Babel Conference. I am enjoying uh, chatting with all of the listeners as I am new to this, but it's been fun. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Review.